Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Obviously, we saw Tom Trevojevic go huge last night, breaking the Supercoach record. That's three scores this year over 200. We saw one score over 200 last year. James Trevoy, uh, Jake, James Tedesco getting 199 uh, as well last year. We hadn't seen scores like that in the past. It's been coming up more and more regularly. And uh, Ryan from Supercoach365 dropped a pretty big tweet. Uh, got a lot of feedback and responses about what we can change, whatnot. So thought it'd be best to get the great men on himself and we'll discuss uh, a lot of the key points that people have brought up and how Supercoach can improve for next year. Ryan, how you going, mate? Mate, it's taken us the better part of 21 weeks to get here, but we're here. Um, mate, pleasure to be here and thanks for the invite. Uh, probably no better time than on the back of a record-breaking night to chat all things Supercoach scoring because uh, we're not the only ones who are asking a few questions today. No, look, I think you and I have been going back and forth about what to record and there's been no better time, like you said, until now. I put the call out to, to see what the people want from Supercoach moving forward. There's some a couple of good ones. There's some couple of stinkers. There's some suggestions of mine. I know you've got a couple to bring up, but um, I've split them into two categories today. I've touched on the trade side of things and the scoring side of things. We'll kick off with the trade side of things and no surprise, a lot of people are calling for more trades. Now, I don't personally see more trades being an issue. I think a lot of people have been gun-happy this year making trades, myself included. Uh, I know you've made some pretty rogue ones. Like, no one has made the perfect trades. I understand injuries and suspensions have been huge this year, um, but I just feel throwing more trades at the at the solution isn't the answer. Yeah, uh, definitely. I agree with you there in terms of it's maybe not necessarily the answer. And putting the onus back on super coaches themselves, I think at the start of the year, it's too easy to try and find a pod um, I mean, I've, I've done that in a couple of times this year, and Toby Rudolph springs to mind. Just sort of these players, um, even Yutukamanu, uh, mucking around with Moses Leota and um, Spencer Lenier as well. Trying to find differences at the start of the year, yes, it can work for you, but can certainly work against you. And I think adding more trades, 
it'll probably just I don't know I don't know if it'll improve the the quality or the standard of Supercoach but um, definitely I think a lot more focus and, and we'll get into this a little bit sooner but a lot more focus will be on uh, scoring and changes that can be made there but in terms of trades I'm, I'm pretty happy with where we're at at the moment yeah, I, I don't think 37 is, is the issue. A lot of people may have played the game for the first time last year. Obviously, very different circumstances last year. We basically had unlimited trades, so people didn't have the the issue. We obviously had the, the first two rounds, and then we had the, the layoff. Then we had we came back to round three where we got five trades as well. Like We, we had the shortened season. There was no issue for people last year. Uh, like I said, I understand injuries and suspensions do take a big hit, but uh, I don't think throwing more trades is the issue. Um, a suggestion that I, I guess I kind of came up with to counter this, instead of having the two trades a week, if people do get decimated by injuries and whatnot, basically having 37 trades available off the bat, um, you can burn them within three weeks if you wanted to, or, or you could burn them, uh, you, you might not even use them. But I, I think a good alternative to maybe not having more trades, but maybe re- relieving the cap of having two, how would you feel about taking the restrictions off how many you could make per week? Yeah, I don't hate that idea, to be honest. I think it's it's good, and again, it probably creates... It opens up the game a little bit more as well, I think. Um, particularly after Origin, you see a lot of teams start to look the same, whereas I feel if you had more trades throughout the course of the year, at least week-to-week, that is, um, you might start to see a little bit, you know, different teams around the Origin period and, and another level of strategy about when you pull the trigger on certain trades. You mentioned injuries there, and I think that's... A key point in, in all of this, you look at this week, and particularly last week, just gone, the amount of um, keepers, in inverted commas, I say that, keepers, uh, that were out last week, I think it was something like eight or nine um, of those sort of, you know, familiar players across a lot of teams that were out last week. Uh, the speed of the game, the rule changes, all of this, it's all to be considered, and uh, injuries, I know the NRL physio is putting out um, weekly uh, his injuries and how it compares this year to years gone before, and um, unprecedented times, both on and off the field, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's it's something that we have to, to navigate, but that's the beauty of Supercoach. Um, another suggestion that, that was sort of made with trades is potentially having a bigger squad. Uh, AFL Supercoach springs to mind. They have a pretty large uh, base of players to choose from. I guess this would allow for more <laughs> depth if injuries occurred, but I don't really see this solving the problem either. Extending the squad from what it is now to, to let's say we add three or four more guys on the bench, I don't think that really fixes the issue either. Yeah, I don't know if it fixes the issue, but I don't hate the idea in its entire in its entirety. I think there's probably a case there to be made. You know, your content at the start of the year, mate, when you're kind of putting up these smokies in the black book and players like Luke Metcalf, we saw him debut last week. Um, uh, Max Fiangai, Matt Fiangai from the Dragons, who have made their or one of them has made their debut. Have they both made their debut? We can edit this. Yeah, both both made their debuts. I think Matt's been playing a little bit more. Uh, than okay. Max, but yeah, both those guys playing, and yeah. I think I, I think I understand where you're coming from. This, if you identify these these young guns that aren't going to get a start until round twenty or so, like we look at someone like a Toby Sexton, for example. Yeah, he's played great footy the last couple of weeks, but he's not really super coach relevant, is he? Like, there's no point bringing a cheapie in this late in, in the season. And I think the point that you may be trying to make is if you're having these extra bench spots to have these um, quote unquote development guys that you could potentially stash for the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head there, and it also you know, it rewards a bit of forward thinking as well because if you've had these guys in your squad from day dot, I think I had Will Penasini and Joseph Sawali uh, from day dot, Sam Walker as well, and obviously um, they've debuted at different stages throughout the year with different um, successes, you could say, but it rewards a bit of forward thinking, a bit more deeper thinking, um, deeper planning as to how you assemble this squad at the start of the year if we were to extend the squad size. Um, I think, you know, you make a good point there as well as... 
the AFL or the Fantasy Premier League and having trades, uh, you know, the wild card sort of idea. I know I've seen you tweeting about this today, um, pulling a trigger almost like a super trade week whenever you want and, um, you know, looking at the uh, overall rankings of the guys who are actually leading the Supercoach uh, classic standings, overall points, that is. They've, but they've been sitting, you know, in the top 10 or top 3, top 5 players, whatever it is, pretty much since round 3. It just shows you the importance of getting those early uh, trades right, but also the importance of building your squad right from the start of the year. Yeah, it's definitely a consistency thing. I I, I think back to the years that I've gone well, both both my top 100 finishes, I was pretty much there from the early rounds and, and didn't really fold from there. But you also hear stories, uh, guys like Wilfred, he didn't... Uh, make the, the the first spot his own until about round 21, and, and there he didn't look back. So I guess it's a mixture of bags. Look, you touched on Sawali, you touched on Sam Walker. Both these guys had huge hype coming in, and, and the beauty with Supercoach and rookies is the fact that we do get three weeks to, to look at them before the price changes. How would you feel Supercoach adopting the model of, of NRL fantasy where there's there's no rolling averages? It's it's basically game one, and their price changes the week after. It, it would stop, in my opinion... Um, people just all jumping on the same trades two weeks later. Again, mate, it's probably a case of there's there's pros and cons to both sides of this. I think as as much as I think there there could be room to tweak some rules of Supercoach, I don't think we want to just tear down the, the what is the game because then you're just going to end up with one like-for-like like product, NRL Fantasy or Supercoach, whatever it is that you play. Um, people who familiarise themselves with the three-week rolling average, I think, have become accustomed to that. And it kind of gives you a chance to have a look at these younger players. Um, Reese Walsh should be a great example. Someone who burst onto the scene. Uh, a couple of big scores to start. And then maybe petered out a little bit. Um, again, I kind of like the three-round the, the three round rolling average. But I can see a case for um, bringing it back to one to place an, you know, an even bigger emphasis on burning a trade for one of a better term do you actually want to get this guy in just to make a bit of cash or is he going to stay in this squad for the rest of the year um, putting onuses back on the coach it would most certainly do that yeah I, i'm much more of a fan of the three-week average i think i think the one-week rolling average would make things even harder for super coaches because a lot of teams would be jumping on the trade straight away look the last sort of team-based question that i had for you and this seemed to be a pretty common one. I've seen it floated around all, all this year. It's separating center wings and it's separating two RFs. Should we have a separate second row spot and a separate lock spot? Uh, and same with center wings and, and wingers. Or do you think it's it's fine the way it is with it being jumbled together? Yeah, look, I think it's it's probably a good case to separate them. I know NRL Fantasy does this. They have, uh, I think it's middles and edges or edge forwards or, or middle forwards. Um, can't speak too much for the backs, as I say. I'm not overly familiar with NRL Fantasy, but I think there is a, a big difference in a middle forward as there is uh, an edge forward for obvious reasons in, in the real-world game. And I think you know the conversation while we're having this today, it springs on the back of what Tommy Turbo did is... It is fantasy, right? It, you don't see these numbers. It is a cheat code. It is video game-like numbers, which he is producing. But now he's doing it in real life. Um, and it just sparks this conversation. Well, do we, do we need to tinker the rules of Supercoach to kind of bring the less dynamic players back into the game? Um, this is probably a one way you could do that. I think of Victor Radley. Um, he's a 2RF. Um, you know, you think of second row forwards. I know I do. I think of them as edge-back rowers, um, locks or, or middles as they're more commonly referred to now by, you know, pundits or super coaches, whoever it is alike. 
Um, I don't see Radley as necessarily a, a 2RF for one of a better term. He's an out-and-out middle forward. Um, so I can kind of see the case for separating these players. Radley, just one example. I'm sure there's many others which spring to mind. Um, Isaiah Papali'i, I guess, has played a lot of his footy on the edge this year, but we've seen him float into the middle. Sean Lane uh, playing in the middle last week for the Eels as well. So, yeah, definitely I can see a case for this. Whether that will impact the overall scores or how that uh, changes the squad dynamics, I'm not too sure, but yeah, it's a fair point to raise. Now, the very last sort of trade question, before we move into the scoring, we've, we've touched on FPL a lot, and I think FPL do a really good job of, of how they manage their fantasy side of things. For anyone not familiar with FPL, it's obviously the Fantasy Premier League, the EPL, English Soccer, however you refer it to. Is, look, they have a, a bunch of free transfers um, as, as to Supercoach. I think we had 37 this year. How would you feel about Supercoach knocking down that to, say, 25 or 30 and implementing mm-hmm. something that the FPL does? So... Um, after so many free transfers, you, you're never ever limited as to how many you can make, but they do cost you points. So I think in the FPL, uh, a really good game week for you, maybe 65 points, and, and, a tra- and a transfer after the free period would cost you four points. So that's, let's say that's equivalent to Supercoach. Let's say a good score is, what, 1,500? So let's say a, a trade over the free transfer limit would be 120 points. Do you think that is another alternative they could look down as to having unlimited transfers but only having a certain amount of free ones and maybe having 120 points taken off your score... Um, if you exceeded those free transfers during the year. Mate, it's unbelievable there that you say a good week is 1,500. Like, it's just crazy to think that we're in that stratosphere now. Um, yeah, look, I don't hate the idea as well in terms of costing points or it coming at a cost if you are going to uh, look to get in these. Uh, I guess the, the more premium players, specifically towards the back end of the year, and I think Nathan Cleary right now, coming back from injury, uh, I think Cleary would round out a lot of teams. I think I think a lot of people would have saved one, two, maybe three trades to get Cleary back uh, whenever he's back from injury. It could be this week, it may be next. But yeah, in terms of buying trades, as you say there, I think it would keep people engaged in Supercoach for a lot longer, I think, if they'd burned a, you know, a couple of trades throughout the origin period and they were just, you know, still a chance of getting in these must-have players like Tommy Turbo. If you're playing without Tommy at the moment, you may as well just switch it off because you just can't compete. But you know, you'd be willing to sacrifice, you say, the 120 points per week if it means you're coming out, you're breaking 100 points in front with his score of 220-plus last night. So, yeah, definitely, I think this is um, probably a case you could make for it. Uh, again, though, it's changing, I guess, everything we've come to know of Supercoach for as many years as it's been up and running now. But um, this is why we're having the chat, mate. It's time to make a change, I feel. Um, and we'll get into reasons why in terms of the scoring uh, a little bit sooner. Yeah, you look at like your, your head-to-head overall league. So your blokes that maybe don't play it as religiously as we do, but like your bloke that in like round 16, there's a couple of wins out of the top eight. He could potentially throw it all at the wall and hope to, to get a couple of wins, sacrifice some some points for, for one or two weeks and then make a big run for the finals. I think that could definitely be uh, a play to have. You mentioned 1,500 being a fantastic score. I remember back in 2019, I'd score 1,300 and walk around like uh, like my shit didn't stink. It's, it's, it's funny how the game changes and... Uh, yeah, 1,500. Um, mate, I scored. I think I scored 1,400 this week and I still went down a, a fair old way. So it just shows you where the game's gone. Moving on to, I guess, the, the most important thing. We've rambled on about the, the trades and whatnot. I, I think you and I are both in agreement that maybe the trades aren't the issue, but it's the scoring that maybe needs to be looked at. And um, I'll bring it back to, to what the most popular scoring thing was. And it's no surprise that it's the one-on-one strip. A lot of people want that in the game. Um, they think that needs to be a defensive play rewarded. I also agree with this. I think it's a case of working out what is the correct points for for a one-on-one strip. I would say maybe six or seven points for a one-on-one strip, considering how rare they do happen. Yeah, look, I think it's rare, but I think it rewards you know an integral part of the game now. It is a momentum swinger. It is just as important as 
earning a penalty or a goal line dropout. So, yeah, going off that model, if it is a six again, such as uh, a forced dropout, which I think is five or six points, uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but, uh, yeah, can definitely see uh, merit for calling for a one-on-one strip being introduced into the game uh, and definitely around, you know, the five, four, five or six points to be awarded. Uh, anything more, I think, could be a little bit of a hack because, you know, you get those players like Cam Munster or Josh Hodgson, uh, that spring to mind that are just so synonymous now with the one-on-one steal. I know it's becoming, an, as I said, an ever-increasing part of the game and more players are, are integ- uh, integrating it into their game. Um, so I definitely think that going forward, this this must be looked at and must be included. A lot of super coaches want it to be there. Now, uh, I think the big disparity with, with super coaches, the fact that the forwards and the big men in the middle are, are getting left behind. And this is another FPL uh, scoring thing that I want to introduce to super coach. The fact that, that in FPL, if you play up to 60 minutes, you're, you're given a point. And if you play more than that, uh, more than 60 minutes, you're given, obviously, two points. Uh, I would love to see something for the middles. This would entice you to go for your guys like your Payne Haas, um, your guys like your Tavita Pengai when he plays big minutes. Um, something to, to bring the bring the swing back towards those big men in the middle to give you an incentive to pick up those, those blokes that have a big motor, potentially rewarding them uh, with more points for staying on the field. Yeah, I can, I can see a case for this. I think maybe... I don't know if you can reward minutes, you know, per minute, if that makes sense. So you definitely have to fall into a bracket if you're playing 60 plus, 70 plus, or the full 80. Definitely. Um, at the same time, though, I feel like this could maybe uh, hurt those who get injuries as well. So obviously, if you have a, a big minute player that you're expecting, you mentioned Payne Haas there, the perfect example. Uh, 65, 70 plus minutes weekly, a point a minute uh, before he's thrown an offload, really. Uh, if he's to get injured in the, in the first half, it just makes you feel that injury even more than what you already do. So uh, definitely I agree that there needs to be something to be uh, rewarding the middles more or, or the big pigs in the in the middle of the field because without them, the likes of Tommy Turbo, Jason Saar, they're not scoring two, three tries a game uh, without the work of Marty Tapao or the rough and tough stuff of uh, Curtis Siren and off the bench last night. But yeah, it can definitely make a case for... Uh, rewarding those smaller or you know more one percent type efforts uh, to to use that footy cliche there. Look with with super coach planning and preseason planning and trades and whatnot, we focus on goal kicking because it is worth it is worth a fair bit in in super coach. A goal uh, is worth four points and miss is I think minus two. A lot of people were surprisingly wanting to reduce the goal kicking points. They wanted to reduce that down to two, and I'm not too sure I agree with this one. I think it's a it's a key component for super coach selections can definitely understand why people would want this to come down you look at the the speed of the game the rule changes there's more tries being scored now and it is such an important decision not just for classic players or predominantly classic players but particularly in draft leagues i know at the start of the year uh, particularly those players that were focusing their first pick around the melbourne storm that week before a lot of people did their drafts how important was it to know whether it was munster or pappenhausen taking the two um, it, it does make a big difference in the end. Ruben Garrick, I think, has been the massive, uh, the major beneficiary here this year in terms of his goal kicking. He's improved it significantly upon what he returned last year. I think he was around a 60%, maybe second last only to Kalen Ponga, who had a shocking run with the boot last year. But um, Garrick's obviously fixed his goal kicking and it made him a must-have winger from about round eight on round nine. Um, CTW, sorry, that is. Um, so yeah, can definitely see if you wanted to mirror more of what we're actually seeing on the field in terms of goals being worth two, then that's obviously where that's coming from. But if uh, it, goal kicking and point scoring is a vital part of Super Coach, so can see arguments for and against. For, you know, I'm probably siding with you though. I'm going to say that keep it as four because 
it is a key component uh, in terms of scoring points and in goals, turning tries, you know, four into six, it is a very important part of the real world game. Yeah, you touch on Ruby Garrick. I think he's a perfect example. Started out as a cheapie in 2019, broke onto the scene, was in a lot of the successful sides. Uh, 2019 fell off a cliff a little bit, didn't have the attacking output, didn't have the goal kicking there as well. It wasn't fantastic. I know that towards the back end of, the, of last year, he he may have been hooked for, for Daly Cherry Evans in terms of off the tee. And uh, yeah, this year it's adding 25, 30 points a game to his average. And um, I think that's just a strategy thing. I don't really see why those players should be punished for for being phenomenal off the tee. You look at Adam Dewey as well. I think Adam Dewey's one of the best goal kickers in the comp. Uh, he's just slowing them from all over the place. It's definitely helping him. and It's attracting you towards these guys. It's why Adam Dewey is now being preferred over Cam Munster or a Jerome Luai. Like it's The goal kicking does help, and I think it's um, probably a bit too much to, to take it away from them. Another goal kicking question that people sort of had is maybe reducing sideline misses from minus two to minus one. I think this maybe is a little bit of a gray area and, and brings too much ambiguity ambiguity if I can talk um, as to how how do we judge it you know like is it from the 10 meter line or whatnot I, I'm not too sure if I'm a big fan of, of changing the miss from a minus two to a minus one from the sideline no that, that's that's rubbish I feel like um, yeah completely agree with you there you can't have you know oh well he tried hard and he missed it just because he's from the sideline it's a bit like AFL like you don't get a point for missing in the NRL and nor should you be compensated in super coach just uh, one more point on the goal kicking before we move on from it. Kalen Ponger, I think, is a is a prime example. You know, post Origin, everyone wants to settle their their two fullbacks heading into the back end of the year. It's Tommy Turbo and who else? Um, for a lot of people, it was Teddy. For some others, uh, it was Ponger. Some others, Latrell. Some were waiting for Pappenhausen to come back. But the fact that Ponger's not kicking goals, that's that's twenty four to you know anywhere thirty points per game less that he's that he's not luxury. That, that he doesn't have in his luxury now because of Clifford kicking goals. So, again, I think you want coaches to have to make decisions. Uh, goal kicking is obviously a big part of that and and who fills teams going forward. I can see why people may want goals reduced because we are seeing more tries and more goals subsequently. But, no, nah, keep them as four for mine. And, uh, yeah, rubbish suggestion, that one. Sorry, whoever sent that one in. Uh, you don't get minus or any compensation for a more difficult attempt on goal. I mean, you, you look back at some of the Supercoach greats and like the, the the Mount Rushmore of them, Corey Parker comes to mind and people love Corey Parker because he was an 80-minute forward that kicked goals and uh, we, we, we fast-forward to Mitch Barnett at the start of this year. Like, it just, it's a big tick and I think it definitely helps Supercoaches. Um, I think the the issue is, is maybe trying to limit the disparity between the top and the bottom, not so much um, taking away a fundamental part of kicking. And we talk about taking away the, the huge plays I've been very vocal on this. I'm an Alex Johnson owner. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Josh Adakar owner. I own these high center wing guys, but I think it's a little bit shit for, for guys like your Payne Haas, for example, that, that he'll bust his ass for 70 minutes and score the exact same amount as a bloke that, um, in all due respect, does nothing and falls over the line twice because of his halfback or 5 eighth, and that's two tries of 60 points. You know, like I think we need to look at the tries and maybe the line breaks as to how, how it's judged. I don't see... I understand in, in principle that... Uh, if a team creates space and a winger scores in the corner, that's a line break. But it's just, I, the winger hasn't done anything for me to, to warrant that, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's there's probably an added element to that. And I, I know the guys at Fox League were uh, tweeting today, or at least um, those with a great experience in Supercoach were tweeting today saying that they do need to jot that line break down to someone. Maybe there's scope to add in a contested line break or an uncontested line break, if that makes sense. So if it's... Uh, uh, a kick for a try, for example, Brian Kelly against the Bulldogs last night. 
I know he hasn't per se broken the line, but the line has been broken by the kick, if that makes sense. It's an uncontested line break uh, because I guess no one missed a tackle for the line break to happen. You mentioned wingers there. Uh, Josh Addo-Carr springs to mind, Alex Johnson, even David Nofaluma uh, in years gone by. Just finishing off simple tries. Charlie Staines, another one, a beneficiary of simply running five metres, putting the ball down and claiming close to 30 points off a line break with a try tied to it. So, yeah, definitely think there's scope and some merit into adding, I guess, a, a little bit more difficulty in achieving a fully blown line break. But, uh, yeah, I think something does have to be done there because we mentioned, you know, scoring a try or the, what a try is worth. On paper, it is worth 17, but it's worth a hell of a lot more once you factor in the line break, uh, subsequent tackle bust to get to the line. It, it ends up about 30 points for a try. So, yeah, if wingers are getting doubles, which Jason Saab got a double inside. I think it was 10 or 15 minutes last night. Uh, it's close to 70 points in two plays. Payne Haas, as you say there, he's running... 200 plus meters for 70 plus minutes making 50 tackles just to achieve the equivalent so definitely uh weighted towards these high ceiling players the game in 2021 you mentioned the uncontested line breaks or line breaks so i think that's a perfect example we look at tom travoyevich when he takes a line on busts two tackles and scores i think that's definitely warrant of the 10 points the full 10 points that's a genuine line break he's done it all himself i would like to see if ruben garrick scores on the left hand side maybe five points compared to 10 yeah, I mean, it's the perfect, the perfect model, I feel. And I think when I say perfect, it, again, it's perfect in, in inverted commas because there is no perfect solution to this unless we are taking it literally four points for a try, two points for a goal. There's always going to be someone unhappy. Um, but, yeah, I think with the game the way it is and the way it's heading, I think it is a little bit more like touch footy Oztag sort of style of play where... It is all out attack. Teams are happy to win 36 to 34 if it means they get the two points at the end of the game. Um, whether that's a bad thing for Supercoach, I don't know. I think players are just a little bit fed up, particularly through the draft lens, because there are only certain players like Tommy Turbo, like Ryan Pappenhaus and uh, James Tedesco on his day that can do what they can do. Um, so classic players, everyone's cheering last night when Tommy gets 400 as captain. But there's only one bloke in the draft league cheering when Tommy does exactly that. So, yeah, I think just as much as these rule changes are for the classic game, for the, I guess, the traditional method of super coach and fantasy sort of scoring, it's just as even more important, I feel, for the draft players. That's why I've always been a big proponent. Uh, if anyone ever messaged me asking for draft help, I always advise non-captains for draft because, yeah, if you get the top four picks, I think you're, you're, you're very, very... If you if you have if you have a top four pick and have captains enabled and you don't make the finals, you've had a, a very very poor year in my opinion for for drafts. Um, look, we keep touching on Payne Haas because I think he's just the 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 whipping boy for the for the forwards. But we'll, we'll use him as an example. On the weekend, he had eighty six post contact meters. How would we feel about maybe adding zero point one zero point two multipliers to those post contact meters to give Payne Haas anywhere from an extra eight point six to sixteen point. No, sorry, the 17.2 um, extra points based off post-contact meters. Considering how advanced that metric is becoming in the NRL and, and how crucial it is for forwards to get over that advantage line, get that quick play the ball, uh, a lot of people were suggesting maybe adding a quick play the ball stat, but I think that's just way too hard for scorers to judge. So I'd like to see a post-contact meters potentially involved. I think that it's the thing of just working at how much we're going to award for those post-contact meters. I feel like it's it definitely is worth a conversation because you sit down you listen to footy from thursday to sunday experts talk about post-contact meters and winning the battle of the yardage particularly out of your own end forwards obviously do it a hell of a lot but 
here. It'll also separate the very good wingers from the good wingers, if that makes sense. Players like Pranto, oh, they're going to even be more valued um, come next year, I feel. But then again, that separates sort of those wingers from the Jason Saabs of the world as well. So definitely, I think there's some scope here for post-contact meters. I guess my only concern here is it, it's just another grey area. I mean, what is... <laughs> You see it across different stat lines, uh, be it NRL.com, Fox League, or whoever it is. You know, one player they've got running down for 350 metres, and the other website, the other app, has him down for 220 metres. Um, I'm just a little bit hesitant here with adding extra metres or, or these sort of grey areas. I know it's it's the game is subjective in itself in terms of how many tackles you made, or even we've seen it try assists at different times. It is subjective. It's always going to be subjective. Uh, don't hate the idea in full. Um, but I just think it, yeah, it could create, it, it could very well create some arguments or I guess some heated discussions about, to, well, what is a post-contact meter or, or, you know, he got 12 post-contact meters, not six that the game awarded him. So I just want to take the gray area, gray area out of Supercoach as much as we can. And this might add a little bit more of that in. You already see that now considering, um, obviously the NRL isn't affiliated with, uh, super coach it's it's the fox sports side of things that's that's associated and sometimes fox sports have someone down for a try assist when the nrl stats don't have them you know so it can be very um yeah a gray area like you said it, it's definitely worth a conversation but until i guess we nail it down um that would be a thing we touched on tom travoyevich and how important he is as a captain in draft and, and classic not so much because everyone has him how would we feel about removing captains altogether? And then if, if, if we don't want to go down that route, how would we feel about making the vice-captain points worth something? Uh, a lot of people use vice-captaincy as your chance to throw it at a, at a wall, uh, take it on a really high ceiling guy. If he goes huge, awesome, you can loop. If he doesn't, no skin off your nose. How would we feel about, one, either removing captains altogether and just having a straight 17, uh, or potentially having like a 1.5 or a 1.3x multiplier on your vice-captain? I think there's probably two lines of thought you could go down here the, the one uh, or the first one that is is just to remove it completely um, I feel like particularly as you say there in draft leagues it's so so important to pick the right captain every week if you are playing a captain's draft league which I do um, and personally for that point I, I can see why players like it I mean we've played it for years and years with captains because it is that extra element particularly uh, i give you an example. Sunday afternoon last year in the grand final, um, someone threw the captaincy on Chanel Harris-Tavita, and out of nowhere he produces 130, double that, 260 as captain. You win the grand final. You've taken a punt last game of the year. Should you be rewarded with a premiership? Well, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. But uh, the other side to it is if you remove it, then what do you lose? What, like, what do we lose by not having a captain? At the end of the day, the score's the score. Do we need a captain? I feel like you can probably find a little bit of middle ground here is just have one captain, remove the vice captaincy. We don't need it. Um, have your captain. You can still add that extra decision for coaches to make. You know, are we captaining Cody Walker this week against the Dragons? Are we captaining Tommy Turbo against the Sharks on Monday night? Um, I feel like, yeah, if, if we are to find the perfect balance between not having a captain and having this outrageous two shots at, you know, 400-plus points with a vice captain loophole, maybe it's just we get rid of the VC uh, the captain's just a straight double and just, I guess, it, it creates that decision for coaches to make at the start of the week. Who are you going to put the, the captaincy on? You uh, you mentioned that great L word that uh, a lot of super coaches after this week don't want to hear. Loophole. Uh, a lot of people may have never done it before. I know I've been, I've been playing super coach for six years. I've done it three times, I think, in six years. So it's not something I do too often. Uh, a lot of people got stung on the weekend going Cody Walker. I'd never ever thought I'd say that either, going 150 and getting stung. 
Um, do we just remove the whole entire ambu- like the whole entire issue around that VC loophole? Well, I if mean, you, if you pick if you pick your captain, he gets injured. Tough titties. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see it throughout the course of the year. There's probably beyond the the players that are in the conversation for fifty thousand dollars, which in reality is very few. Uh, as I said, the current leader, the Villiamis, I think he was in top spot or at least in the top three by about round three. So. Again, it's it's crucial. Get your yeah, get your team right early and get rewarded. But in terms of uh, having the VC loophole, look, I don't love it um, personally. I think it has its role in draft leagues if you are playing uh, with captains. Which again, that's up to you or up to the leagues to decide as to whether you're having a captain or not. But look, I I don't like it in classic. I feel like again, you, what you're gaining out of it is probably very little uh, as opposed to the risk that you're taking. We say that on the weekend. Um, it is rare, as you say, but it the fact that it can be an option is probably just an unnecessary one. But again, it is. I know why it was brought into play. For example, if if Tommy Turbo was to be ruled out in the warm up last night, then you'd cop Cody Walker um, as your captain, and that's what it was meant to be used for. So maybe again, it's around tweaking. You can't captain non-playing players. Uh, if it's as simple fix as that, and you can only captain playing players, it just removes that whole conversation in its entirety. So yeah, a couple of things that you can obviously take away from that, but. Uh, all in all, I'm not a huge fan of the loop. Yeah, we see on the on the Supercoach app or the website that players will have the green icon next to them if they're playing or the orange if they're not starting or, or like the, the red lines or whatever. Yeah, I feel like you could you could do a permanent lockout for guys that weren't named at all. Obviously, it's going to get a little bit grey, as you say, with the extended benches um, before the 24 hours of kickoff or whatnot. But you guys like your Jared Andersons, for example, yeah, I feel like should should not be an option at all. But then again, people could just cheat the system by by putting it on, a, on an extended bench reserve. So I think the issue is either keep the VC or remove it altogether. Um, look, we, we talked on post-contact meters. I think I know your answer to this one. Someone suggested hit-ups per meter, not per hit-up individually. Yeah, again, it's probably about finding that balance. I think the NRL Fantasy uh, do their scoring system like this. But again, it, it probably just favours... I don't know if this helps the forwards, and I think whoever's tweeting this or whoever sent this into the Instagram today probably isn't thinking of the other side to this you know I think they've oh, I don't know who it is and, and forgive me if I'm uh, being a little bit prejudiced or prejudicial here but um, I think whoever sent this in is thinking of your big middles uh, again we mentioned Payne Haas but Tohu Harris another one or um, someone else who turns out massive meters Fisher Harris at times as people, well people quickly forget that Brian Toto runs for 250 minutes every game don't they Exactly right, or your Roger Tuovaza Sheks, or your Teddies when he's on. Even Tommy last night, I don't know exactly, but he would have been upwards of 200, I dare say. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes both ways, I feel. So just be prepared and be used to that, or be ready for that if that is to be the case, if you are rewarding points for four metres. And you can't just reward it for forwards, and you can't just reward it for backs, because then you get into the issue of like dual position guys, like John Bateman a couple of years ago. Does does he qualify for it because he's a second a centre wing and super coach? Isaiah Yo last year, like the yeah, I think it's it's. I know what these guys mean that they want they want their middles to be rewarded, but at the same time, when Brian Toto is is just carving up on that left edge, like yeah, I, I, it's it's very very hard, and I think the the poor super coach guys do cop it a lot. Um, from guys like myself, guys like you, a lot of the people that are looking out for the game, but it's it's hard to to really bring the gap down. The only thing I can think of is really just removing those attacking stats and, and maybe lowering them. I know many many moons ago before I started playing, this is back 2011, 2012, I think a try may have been worth six points, and uh, mm. and then it increased to maybe ten, and then I think now it's increased to seventeen. So look, it's it's going to throw the record books out. 
look, there, there's a couple more here that, that sort of relay or what we've already touched on. Someone suggested instead of having the five trades per round before and after the buy rounds, round 13, round 17 this year, um, perhaps like FPL getting getting a couple of chips where you can play them any week. And we all, we already touched on this with the with the potential 37 trades open at all times. Um, but yeah, I definitely can get behind the idea of not being limited to when you play your five trades. I think it's the exact same scenario as the 37 that we've touched on already. Yeah, by planning, I think it's obviously important, but I can speak only for myself here. I think I was happy to concede in round 17. I think I had something like eight or nine players, and that was my own doing, but I'd set up my team not just for round 17. Uh, I had obviously a big focus on everything after that. So, yeah, look, if there was a little bit more flexibility around not being limited to X amount of trades per week, be it two or, or four or five, whatever it was in that super trade week, then, yeah, absolutely. I think it just... It, all in all, I think from this, I think you know one thing you can take away yourself and and the listeners as well is, I'd be anything or for anything that makes coaches make more decisions. I think that will separate the very best from the rest. Last one before I let you go, mate. Someone suggested injuries via foul play. You get an AE. I understand what they mean here, but like, is it, is there a points cutoff? Is it total? Like, what happens if you own? Tohu Harris and he scores six points like does he qualify for an AE or what if you own um, someone like an Angus Crichton and and he plays 75 minutes and then gets a HIA and goes off because of foul play and and he's already scored 65 points do you lose that 65 like I understand maybe the the injuries via I think this may have come from the Dane Laurie situation a lot of people brought him in this week and and although it wasn't foul play it was an injury that, that did suck if this has to be a rule, there may be an over or under points here. For example, if your player scores less than 30 points and they get done by foul play, do they get an AE or or whatnot? So I think this one's a threshold. And I can relate to this one pretty hard considering I did captain James Desco the week he got uh, decapitated by Jordan Piero. Yeah, again, mate, I think this is a massive grey area. As you say, there are two chief examples. Tohu Harris against, I think it was the Panthers up at Suncorp when he did his ACL, gone inside the first 10 minutes. Uh, disappointing, that, but that's the game, right? You chose to play Tohu Harris. He was first up from a, uh, I think it was a, what was supposed to be a four-week layoff with a shoulder concern. He came back inside too. Um, again, massive grey area for mine. I don't think you can do it unless, unless there's probably one, one way you can get around it, and that's if your player is the victim of a send-off. Uh, I think of Ryan Pappenhausen up at Suncorp Magic Round uh, when Fui Mayano almost knocked his head off and, and he was sent off. I think that's definitive. If it's your player is knocked out to the point where the opposition is sent from the field, um, there's no grey area there. It was a clear foul play, an act of foul play, which was deemed uh, worthy enough of the other player playing uh, or the other team playing without a player for the rest of the game. So uh, if that's to be the case, I'd be happy if the player got their uh, three-round average uh, or their rolling three-round average. So don't know what that would have been for the case of Pappenhausen, but probably more reflective of his score um, to that point of the season as opposed to I think he would have walked off with 12 or 16 after that try assist in the act of getting his head taken off. So, yeah, injuries via foul play. All in all, I don't love it unless there's probably a send-off play and, and you can uh, make a case for giving the player their average, their rolling three-round average, that is. Yeah, I think sitting being on send-off if, and you maybe get the rolling average because you do fall into the problem of, like, different scenarios where maybe they get they get a HA after five minutes or they get a HA after 75 minutes but then when the scores are drastically different so yeah maybe a three-round average or a five-round average or a season average however you want to do it I could get behind it um it would make life easier for for coaches which is obviously not what we want we want more 
more changes to be made. But I think the the biggest thing is that we can take away from this is that we both have really have no idea how we can fix the game, but we both know that it has to be done. Uh, I, I'm, I'm leaning towards the attacking side of things. I, I'd be happy to see the try drop back to maybe 10 points. I'd be happy to keep the line breakers maybe 10 points as well or, or whatnot. And then you obviously have your contested line breaks or your uncontested line breaks, which is a, a suggestion that you made. But all in all, I think the, the Supercoach guys do a fantastic job, but it's just a very, very fine line to balance, isn't it? It is, mate. And as you said, there's probably no perfect solution. Uh, obviously, there will be some discussion throughout the, I guess, the run into the finals as we see players like uh, Tommy Turbo continue to hit his strides and obviously Cleary coming back and Pappenhausen getting back to full fitness, we hope. So uh, definitely uh, this conversation won't end here when we uh, press uh, and enter this call. But I think... Um, I think, as you say there, there's obviously going to be some models thrown forward and uh, all have their merits or some merits. Um, but yeah, I don't envy the guys who have to make the end decision. But maybe it is a case of players, uh, super coaches that is, of just readjusting, um, as you say. Maybe it is we need to acclimatise ourselves with the new rules, the new game, the new style that we are seeing. And uh, if that is then uh, a decision for super coach or uh, the Telegraph, whoever it is, to just readjust the game, I think... Uh, NRL fans, rugby league fans aren't uh, aren't afraid or are used to getting used to change quite quickly now. We see it every week, uh, either a rule change and in interpretation or the venue where the games are being played. I think Supercoach has given enough time and space and, and leeway. Uh, heads up, that is, in terms of um, getting accustomed to the new rules. We can very quickly take that on board before the new year. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's a Supercoach issue. I think it's definitely an NRL issue as to how the games evolve. We looked last year, uh, I think Teddy averaged 94 and everyone lost their mind over 94 average. We look at Turbo now uh, averaging 135. We look at Cleary averaging 115. We look at Fafita, who's hot and cold, averaging 91. So, yeah, it's. I think it's the way the game, Teddy. Not so much Supercoach, but I do think they have to adapt. Uh, mate, I thank you very much for coming on. We've been rambling for about 40 minutes now. Uh, hopefully, everyone that uh, got their suggestions in had them answered. There were some good ones. There were some poor ones. Hopefully, you guys. Um, it just. I ho- I'm hoping it creates a debate. Hopefully, we can get the the talk happening. Uh, I know that the the guys that are head up, the high up in Supercoach, do read a lot of um, the comments that are left. So be kind, be nice, but uh, definitely have an open criticism. Uh, Ryan, mate, I thank you very much. Uh, give yourself a plug. Where can we find you? I know you do a lot of uh, a lot of content similar to myself, podcasts as well. Uh, you're all over the socials. Yeah, you can grab us at Supercoach365 right across uh, Facebook, Twitter, predominantly Instagram, and uh, as well as this recording tonight, we'll do our weekly uh, Round 20 wrap-up and Round 21 preview, plenty of team list news uh, to get through and injury updates as well. So, uh, yeah, pleasure to be here tonight, and uh, no doubt we'll speak again uh, before the run into the finals. It's set to be a big week. Very, very soon. Uh, And for now, guys, keep your friends close and keep your pods closer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.